0: champion radio. Today we'll be talking about DevNet and data center programmability with John McDonough and Joey Hughes. Our Cisco champion host today is Jose Bogarin. As for me, my name is Brett Shore from the Cisco product marketing team, and I'll be playing the part of moderator today. Joey, if you can start and introduce yourself, uh, tell us who you are and what you do, that would be a great start.
1: So I'm Joe Hughes. I'm a Cisco champion based out of Austin, Texas, Uh, basically just a long time uh, Cisco customer, huge UCS nerd, and uh, all around automation guy.
0: Fantastic. Great. And John, same for you.
2: I'm John McDonough. I'm a developer advocate for uh, Cisco's DevNet, and uh, my main focus is data center automation, uh, mostly compute. I've been doing it for about uh, 12 years now.
0: Fantastic. And then our uh, our host today, Jose Bogarin, if you could uh, give us a uh, little bit of information about who you are, what you do, that would be a good start.
3: I'm there. Chief Innovations Officer at Deltas, so a company based in Costa Rica. We're basically focused on developing on top of Cisco technologies, and I've been doing this for the past probably five years, so starting in the first DevNet zone in 2014 in San Francisco.
0: Wow, fantastic. So I'm going to go ahead and pass it over to you, Jose, to get things kicked off and to ask the first questions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. John, can
3: you tell us a little bit more about why you jump into the data center stuff? I mean, a little bit more of your background.
2: So I... Um I started developing when I was 11 years old. Oh. When I was in uh, junior high school, or junior high, uh, they had a computer there that I could utilize on the weekends. I could bring it home. Nice. And um, so I, I just got really interested in programming. And then along the way, I worked for different product teams as a developer, um, doing test developments, or do, you know, doing testing development, things like that. And just when the UCS came out, I just fell in love with compute. And you know, being able to manage that. And I have been fascinated with data center ever since.
3: Nice. Nice. What from the UCS part exactly? What APIs or what technologies within the UCS did you really pull in love with?
2: So I think Joe can attest to this too. UCS is one of the most beautiful APIs out there. That product was one of the first Cisco products that was API first. So what that means is that in order for something, a feature or a component of UCS to be in UCS, it has to be part of the object model. By being part of the object model, you're automatically part of the API. And that was just so fascinating to me because when you look at SDKs and and other things that come after the fact, they're always adding features, they're always catching up to what the product capabilities are. But with UCS, the product capabilities are there because the object model says you're part of the API. Uh, Joe, what do you think?
1: I think that's the uh, fantastic ability of UCS is the fact that everything being built into the object model, it's immediately discoverable, it's immediately part of the API as a full first-class citizen. So it's not a bolt-on feature that's added after the fact that somebody realized there was a missing capability. Which is a big
3: change from what you have with other vendors, right? So that basic management and scalability, being able to deploy UCS, make it scalable and actually support it with APIs is a big change from From what the industry was doing uh, the past few years so it's for me that was a a huge advance in cisco technology
2: you know the really interesting thing about it you know when i look back now when they were creating the ucs services group which is how i started being a ucs uh, programmability person they had a bunch of people for networking they had a bunch of people for storage they had a bunch of people for server management and you needed all those things to first go out there and make sure that ucs was successful but they had one person for UCS APIs, and that was myself. They saw that there was some advantage to this programmability. Now we're talking 2008, 2009 that I joined the group, but it wasn't until you know, the cloud and other things started happening that people were like, automation, automation, automation. And they're talking about you know, how other products are starting to add this stuff. I was like, UCS has already had it. <laughs> and then, of course, the the geniuses, you know, and I'm sure they would blush at, at if I called them that in person, but the geniuses that developed UCS, they went on and developed other great data center products that are object model based, right? And, and just having that programmability built in from the start, which is fantastic. Nice. Yes,
3: yeah. And again, for me, it's been being able to actually provide the developers that power to do with the infrastructure whatever they need it's that's that's for me the key part here what parts of the data center can you actually automate i mean
2: oh you know there's a blog i wrote probably 2012 maybe 20 uh 2011 and uh i basically postulate that you can automate everything every single thing there's a tool to automate KVMs, you know, KVMs are, are not really character based, they're video based, you're seeing what's happening. And yet, you can use uh, tools like Auto Hotkey to emulate, um, you know, keystrokes from the keyboard. So you can automate everything in the data center now, right? We have products that are really focused on on, on automation, you know, HyperFlex and, and UCS and Intersight and, and ACI. And dcnm all those products now are so aware of the requirement for for automation that uh you know that's why you're, you're hearing now that everybody needs to be a developer right and and i know joe you were thinking about who is a developer these days like what do you what what's your thoughts on what makes a developer
1: uh, i would say anybody that's that's just willing to to uh put in some time and effort to work on automation you know everybody that's in it ops everybody that's working in infrastructure should be thinking about automation because the entirety of the organization's thinking that way, and that's where they need to go if they're going to scale, if they're going to be dynamic but still have, you know, every policy and every capability they need to secure their environment. And it really just needs to be something that everybody shifts their mindset to.
3: Can you share something that you've done in the past? I mean with the automation in data center?
1: Uh, honestly, uh, you know, even in my last role, you know, I, I dealt with 17 UCS domains and about 550 UCS blades, and I had my entire VMware environment automated to the point that, yes, I had, you know, uh, vMedia policies, I had auto hotkey scripts, I would do, you know, automated installs from Pixie Boot for, for uh, UCS blades, whether it was our CAD environment or the VMware environment and everything was no touch, you know, just deploy everything and based on the policies and mac addresses that would get caught you know it would determine what the server was going to be and just put that identity on it
3: nice and, and for me that that's great because when you talk about automation a lot of the time people just think about cloud and you know they basically skip the on-premise conversation back yeah as you were saying i mean you can do a lot of stuff on on-premise and as you were saying with the ucs it's, it's a lot what you can do with the different servers and different technologies as well
1: well and it was also the fact that you know it, it made no difference to me and to the automation in the environment whether we were going to deploy a single blade or a hundred you know and if we were going to do that concurrently and even as we swapped out hardware and went from m2s to m3s to m4s to m5s it was all the same exact automation we just got extra features as we went to new modules.
3: yeah you got you know, new, uh, new new features in the object model of yep. the ucs
1: you know if i could add to that you know when yeah. you look at a product like
2: Intersight, we've actually put ucs management out in the cloud Right? Yeah. And the way we secure your data center information, if you will, is that the products in the data center that want to be part of Intersight reach out to Intersight and make that connection. So Intersight can't just automatically go and see every data center and every piece of UCS hardware that's out there. You as the administrator has to reach out to Intersight and and let Intersight in. But now we have cloud-based UCS management that allows you to run your APIs and your scripts from anywhere and not have to worry about VPNing into a data center. Because as you were saying, you know, we were thinking about automation in the data center and then the walls of the data center were where that automation stopped. But that's not really the case anymore. We can reach out to Intersight and then allow Intersight to reach into the data center and do that automation. And with that, about two, three years ago when we were start talking about this cloud-based uh, automation, my manager at the time came to me and I was working as a UCS technical marketing engineer he said, can you make our APIs more exciting? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, they're already so exciting. I don't even know. I don't know how I could make them more exciting. That's really a, a very difficult task. But, you know, let me see what I can do. So I started doing these little tasks. And I said, you know, how, what about this thing? With and he's like, yeah, that's okay. But, no, exciting, exciting. I want exciting. And I said, well, what if – I said, I've been working on this thing on the side. <laughs> what if I could control – or manage my data center with a voice-activated device like the Amazon Echo. He's like, that would be cool. <laughs> and so what I did was I made this little video, and it, it was a proof of concept at the time, where I could ask um, Alexa what the serial numbers were of my servers, or I could ask Alexa to turn the LED on or turn the LED off, or I could ask Alexa to deploy a service profile. and that you know, I I, I made a video of and I put it out there on YouTube and it immediately went viral. It had like over (laughs) 500 views. And I said to my kids, I have a viral video. (laughs) And they're like, Dad, I think I have to explain what viral means. (laughs) And I said, in my industry, (laughs) for what I do, right, 500 is pretty viral. (laughs) But uh, that made the APIs exciting. It made them, you know, seem like something that you'd want to be interested in, you know, the way people are always interested in like the latest technologies, maybe data center automation isn't the thing that's going to grab you, yeah. but connecting your data center to the cloud and being able to use cloud um, capabilities like voice recognition or API gateways or anything that's out there to build your data center or automate your data center is, uh, is phenomenal, and that's things that you can do now. With well APIs.
1: even you know as jose was talking before we started the podcast where you were leveraging meraki to tag uh, vips when they came in and connected in in, in branch offices of, of financial institutions the fact that you would be able to do the same thing to have a locator led light up for a technician that went in to go replace a dim module or a bad hard drive that they knew exactly what piece of gear it is that they're looking for because you could identify that person and trace it all the way to the individual piece of gear they're going to work on
3: yeah yeah, absolutely i mean and I imagine a scenario where you can build a mobile app where the technician can go to the data center and ask that mobile app using Alexa or something like that to light up LED in the LED device in the UCS. so yeah. You can say
2: Alexa, guide the way for me. Yes. (laughs) But you know, the thing was in the video that I really tried to um, bring home was that I was sitting there on my couch without my laptop, without my phone or actually I was using my phone to talk to a a call that came in and the idea was that I didn't have my laptop and I didn't want to go Open it up, and I said, "Hold on a second. You know, I don't have my laptop with me. Let me ask if I, you know, through the um, through the Echo, um, what the serial number is, and should I, and can I turn the LED on?" And that was something that resonated with people. Is like, you know, now you can be just about anywhere, yeah, and um, just you know do this voice activation and, and really extend your APIs. Although I think you know, I got a question for the both of you: Is how did you get started with your automation, you know, journey? What was the where was the place that you? Um, so at Cisco
3: that helped you get going. Well for me it was basically that first step on in San Francisco twenty fourteen. I was trying to struggle in the company, trying to figure out a way to actually innovate more and getting into programmability, getting into, you know, this whole new area of how you can use software to improve your skills in the networking area was the thing that got me started into this. And um, I came from a different background, I mean I learned Java in, in, in college, but now switching to Python and doing stuff with Python really opened my eyes to the stuff that you can do in the networking area.
1: What about you, Joe? What was your start? So for me, it was actually the UCS platform. Uh, I was working at a Cisco partner shop at the time, and we were a large uh, c shop, so between UCS and deploying the hosted collaboration suite, it was trying to standardize on a single language that would basically build an entire pipeline for us from provisioning new hardware through laying down the applications and bringing up a customer environment. It was really, we were just trying to speed up and, uh, and accelerate deployments for customers, as well as reduce the downtime for troubleshooting when we had maintenance. So the more information we could have readily available, it just it saved the company just an amazing amount of resources.
2: And so Jose, you mentioned Python, but Joe, what, what was it for you, which is the language? PowerShell. All uh, day, yeah. every day, <laughs> <laughs> which
3: is like the uh, primary tool in UCS, right? It's one of the primary tools to use when you're. So when it, you know
2: we have we have PowerShell, but we have the uh, Python SDK as well. But uh, the PowerShell library for UCS is probably one of the most well done libraries out there. In fact, Jeffrey Snover, who's the father of PowerShell, did us the great kindness and uh, and just tweeted one day that the PowerShell uh, power tool library for UCS is one of the most well done that he's seen uh, implementation of PowerShell. So that was a a great honor.
1: Well, and it was amazing to see the the, uh, documentation around that where like 95 or more percent of the PowerShell commandlets were all created by just pointing a watcher at the XML API and looking through the object model and it just generated all the code for that. And the ability that you can actually deploy things even with the UI and then say convert this to a UCS commandlet and it will actually give you the code to reproduce your environment, that's amazing. That that just does not exist with other platforms.
3: Yeah, it makes it easier for the developers to start, I mean, or, or for the networking engineers, they can yes. see how they can do it in the interface and then they can yeah. get the commandlet to do it.
1: I, I use that all the time to try and teach people, you know, with... Deploying the emulator and then just saying look if you want to learn how to do this in code This is something you understand the platform you need to understand the underlying technologies and then from there You can teach yourself by making the changes in the UI that you know how to do and then see what it changes in the code on the back end Yeah,
3: Yeah. that's
2: really a great facility. In fact, we have a few workshops that um, That tout that we have the Python SDK workshop for UCS and that'll show you how to use the convert to UCS Python to convert Python or create Python code, but then we also have the Power Tool workshop that uh, I'll be doing tomorrow and Wednesday, excuse me, tomorrow and Thursday. Um, and we go through convert to UCS commandlet and show people, and they actually get hands-on with how to create code from the configurations they just made. And it really does open up their eyes and kind of like light up that, that little light bulb of uh, epiphany over their head and help them understand, oh, this is easy to get started. I, I can... Turn this piece of code that was generated for me into a script that I can employ on, uh, on a regular basis to do tasks. And um, I know that they'll, they'll work in a consistent way, in a consistent manner, and, and uh, I, you know, I can be uh, happy with myself.
1: Yeah,
3: Which is probably one of the things that I've been talking to a lot of people in the past few years. And they kind of have some fear of getting into this field because they think it's too complicated. So a tool, like you're saying, or, or having that uh, possibility of seeing those commandlets in the interface makes it easier for them to actually make that jump and start playing a little bit and see that it's not that complicated and it's very powerful to do to do stuff through the API, for sure.
2: Absolutely. You know, people that use the CLIs all the time, yeah. you're just sending a command to a process that's processing, the, you know, parsing that thing out and doing something with that command. Yeah. Think of programming the same way. You're sending a command to a process that's going to parse it, it, or excuse me, parse it, and then uh, you know do the thing that you're asking it to do. Yeah,
3: yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, can you guys tell me a little bit more about what APIs are available in the ECS? I mean, we've been talking about it. you can do a lot of stuff, but what exactly? What use cases? What exact APIs can you use to to manage the ECS?
1: So I'll say uh, one of the biggest things we used was was being able to make modifications dependent on an application that was going to hit a blade, whether that was our CAD environment or VMware environment, where we had strict needs or had settings that had to be specific to either storage or networking uh, based on what application workloads were going to be on there. So we could validate where a workload was going to land to say, you know, is this existing template that we have? meet all the needs of, of what we have, or do we need to deploy a new template, do we need to spin up some new blades and, and move them over to a different identity so that they can actually you know, leverage whatever other things outside of the environment that we needed to have that may not be programmed into it already. Um, but it was you know just being able to do everything with storage policies to be able to set everything that we needed for all of our network settings and be able to check the compliance of that over time. Make sure that, you know, as we had a need that changed, or even every six months, we could say, okay, we're not having any issues that come back to a policy that's now outdated because we haven't applied something that needed to be there. Um, That was the biggest thing for us when we used it.
3: Can you, like, estimate or guesstimate the exact time that you save from doing that through automation and not manually?
1: Uh, I'll put it this way: In my last shop, I was told when I came on board, uh, it took them about two weeks to deploy blades when they would get new ones, and we dropped that down to three hours to deploy a chassis full of bait blades.
3: That, that right there basically makes the whole point why you yes. have to use automation.
1: Yes. To... Well, and that was the thing for the for the can environment that we had as well. They were already deploying the the blades themselves and and uh, the operating system that was going on it through automation. They were deploying that with you know puppet that would hit the box yeah. immediately, but they were essentially manually deploying the blade itself. So it took them weeks to get to the point that it was a 20 minute deployment to put the operating system on it and put it <laughs> into production. So we tried to shave as much time as we could off of that. Yes.
3: how about you John? Oh.
2: So I want to uh, you know, talk about you know, what APIs are available in the UCS yep. um, uh, API, everything, everyone. So what does that mean? If you can do it in UCS manager graphical interface, you can do it with the API. As we just talked about, you could capture that log and create code again, a, a blog that I wrote back in 2012 where I detail this and how to do these operations. Um, I had a, an email arrive probably a couple of months ago from a guy that's like, I'm using your blog and I really want to understand how to do this. And that's really a testament to the, the true power of this API. Anything that you want to do in UCS, you can do. Okay. And uh, the true power of the UCS PowerShell um, library, the UCS PowerTool and the true power of the UCS Python SDK is that everything, as Joe had said, it's generated, and so everything is available in it. Every operation, every capability, it's all there. And if for some reason something has been left out of those libraries, we have generic object operations. Mm -hmm. So you can just create that object generically and manipulate it. So everything's in there. And one of the first things I did, I worked on a uh, project with a large bank they had 12 UCS domains, 1,980-something blades, I think it is. So everything was 20 chassis, fully loaded. We deployed in four days. <laughs> so <laughs> 1,900 awesome. blades in four days. That's amazing. Which was great for the customer. They loved that. But then when they went to negotiate another deal with services, they said, we want a four-day deployment for, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, for 2,000 blades. And they are like, um, so John's not in services anymore, <laughs> 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 so, but actually they did, you know, we used my code or the code that I had written for them the first time. And, and that was the thing that they realized I made, you know, this really generic cookie cutter type code where they, at that, at that point they were just filling values into a spreadsheet nice. and yeah. then the spreadsheet was being pulled into the power tool, um, uh, you know, uh, code and, and just the, the, op- the configurations were being run. So yeah, they were able to do another 2000 blades in uh, four
1: days. Yeah. Well, and Ooh. seeing the amount of code that's been put up inside of the community on the forums where, you know, everybody has shared what they've done, where you can do bare metal upgrades with a handful of steps by, yeah, filling out a couple of CSV files and just importing them straight in. It's amazing. And everybody, you know, can kind of become their own developer and can become a little bit of a, you know, UCS rock star by just putting out their own code that somebody else might use even years down the road.
3: Which is probably, again, one of the transitions of the in the industry, I mean, being more open with, Open source code, basically, it's, it's, it's also a transition that we've been through in yeah. the past years.
2: All my code is out there on GitHub. If, if I've written something that I thought was worthy, I put it out there. In fact, I've actually started putting out stuff that I didn't think was worthy by my standards because I knew it solved somebody's problem. So, you know, little snippets of code that you put out there. Um, DevNet has some great, great resources for understanding how to utilize this code the learning labs and the sandboxes where you can go ahead and go a st- through a step-by-step tutorial of how to use that um, that library or those modules, and then sandboxes so that you can go ahead and do this in an environment that's safe, right? So I think that's something that a lot of people are worried about, too, is that they have production equipment or even test equipment, and they're afraid to you know, try to do something on that equipment for fear of, let well, if they do something wrong, then they have to tell somebody. and You know, somebody might, you know, squelch their desire to do this thing. So these sandbox environments are great because they do the work. If something breaks, if something isn't right or, you know, they can kind of mess around with it. If they can't get back to the point they want to be at, just reserve another sandbox.
3: Yeah. I'm going to go back a little bit because we've been talking about APIs and SDKs. When should I use an API? When should I choose an SDK? Can you elaborate on that?
2: So, you know, the SDKs typically come after the API, right? So the API for UCS and for other data center products like, um, like ACI, that's built into the product and, and it's just a, an organic part of the product and you can use it any time. They're XML based or they're JSON based. One's REST, one is uh, not REST. And so you have to understand those sort of lower level programmability details to utilize the APIs. The SDKs, on the other hand, they may not always be up to the moment, right? They haven't been regen or they haven't had the new features added into them. So an SDK, while it may provide you a lot of facility with authentication, um, keeping your your, uh, session fresh and things like that, if there's something that isn't in there, um, then you could always like sort of fall back to the API. But in reality, there's enough capability within the SDKs for the data center products that we have that you can avoid going directly to the API. Now, I have no problem writing XML, and I have no pr- problem writing JSON, but I think that's what is really you know one of the most fearful things for people is that not only do I have to learn this programming language, but now I have to learn this data encoding. Okay, um, yeah. So I, I think SDKs are always going to be your best place to start, and if you really want to get to the lower-level internals, then that's when you can start looking at the API.
3: Okay. And within the data center uh, UCS part, we have the Python SDK, and we have the PowerShell SDK, right? We, oh. have,
2: we have those two, and um, yeah, I don't think we have anything else, anything else that's publicly available, the, the Python SDK and the uh, UCS Power Tool. nice nice oh, oh, I should mention we do have Ansible now. Ooh. So we have UCS yeah. Ansible, and uh, I'm, uh, I'm one of the contributors on that. So if you download Ansible, 2.8 uh, just came out. There will be um, modules for UCS in there. There's also a, a supplemental set of uh, modules in the UCSM hyphen Ansible library on GitHub under the Cisco UCS account. So if you don't want to really dip into SDKs or even into APIs, you can be abstracted a level and use Ansible and uh, there's a number of um, facilities out there in, um, in DevNet for UCS Ansible and for InterSite Ansible um, and even just on the Ansible site itself. It's really, really powerful because it can help you get started with these things and do full data center, multi-domain management in your data center across Nexus, across ACI and UCS using Ansible. And that abstraction that Ansible provides, it turns into a commonality and methodology that really helps people just, you know, focus. Like Joe said, they want to um, standardize on PowerShell, and that's great if you have people that can really, you know, think at that level. But if you want to, um, you know, bring it up a little bit of level of, abstra- of abstraction, you can utilize Ansible, and that and that seems to speak across the board to administrators and and you know compute people and and uh, virtualization people. So it really is a great tool that we have available out there now as well.
3: Yeah, which is also a good way to get started. I mean, for, for at least for networking engineers that are not as familiar with programming, Ansible looks more like configuring an, an iOS device than other stuff so it's 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 easy to get started and you got a lot of tools like you have you can open a spreadsheet or do some csv work or you can do a lot of stuff with that with ansible so i guess it's a good uh, first step into programmability for sure
1: having that common configuration management layer makes it a lot easier for everybody to understand because it is a little bit more abstract you just have to understand the concepts not every switch and, and setting that you could set inside of the actual code to drive the api itself so you can just say these are the things that i need and ansible will take that and and you know set everything in the underlying api itself and that's even a a long-standing integration you guys have had now right that came out i think in 2.5 that it made into the core ansible
2: made it the core ansible in 2.5 but we really got going around 2.6 2.7 where we brought in some other resources like myself and uh, a few of the technical marketing engineers. And getting buy-in from engineering that you know that's a big thing too so engineering is sort of you know relaxing a bit who can provide these automation tools so at first they had the um they had full control of ucs ansible and you know unfortunately you know they're they're trying to put out you know innovations and and things at a regular you know pace and um they didn't have enough resources to to you know do the ansible stuff so myself and, and a few other guys were like hey you know, we're, we're game to do it. You just have to, you know, sort of let go and, and <laughs> let us <laughs> do. And, um, and what was good for, for engineering was that they knew that we were going to have to adhere to Ansible standards. Yeah. So by adhering to an Ansible standards, they knew that, you know, the control that they were kind of giving us would still be there with, with Ansible because they're not going to put something into their product that um, is not working. So yeah. we did. We did get a lot of uh, help from from them in Ansible, and that was really a pleasant um, open source project to contribute to. And um, they kept us honest, and they kept us, you know, um, you know, true to what they needed as far as their product was concerned. And it was it was a good good uh, way to get into that open source capabilities.
1: Well, and that's a good ecosystem. You know, being part of Ansible, there might be folks that don't understand all the, the bits that are on the compute side of data center but understand the networking that were already driving their network environments with Ansible or even doing things like just their own straight code and NetYang and things like that that had no idea there was that programmability in UCS or even within HyperFlex and, and Intersight that by now seeing that in, in that common config management platform, they now know those capabilities are there so those teams internally can talk and start you know automating more of their environment and get more code coverage for whatever it is they're trying to do.
2: And that's a comment that we had had from somebody at one point you know he had said i'm really not interested in being a programmer but i do want to automate my equipment what can i do yeah and if you're not interested in being a programmer that's fine you know we're not looking for everybody to be uh, developers but uh, you can use a product like ansible and the ansible domain specific language does give you some ability for conditionals and building lists and things like that doing loops so while you're not actually doing programming, in fact, Ansible doesn't recommend their DSL as a programming language, <laughs> you can do some complex things and uh, and also some simple things that really help you automate without getting fully, um, su- you know, submerged or submersed into uh, programmability.
3: I think that, that engineering story that you just told us is a good segue to your current role. So you used to be TME in UCS, right? But Correct. what's your current role?
2: So my current role as a developer advocate is um, with DevNet, and I do a number of things. You know, Mostly I um, interact with other developers and help them get started or help them move further. And then what we also do is uh, create a bunch of learning labs and blogs and videos and sandboxes so that people can start their developer journey or even take it a step further, whatever it is that they want to do. So as a de- as a developer advocate, my whole um, goal is to make sure that the people that want to develop have the resources, the knowledge, and um, and the support that they need to to you know get started or even you know take it a step further.
3: Okay, thanks. And, and um, DevNet's been huge for the past years. I mean, Chuck Robbins has mentioned DevNet even in his keynotes uh, a couple of times. So, uh, it, I guess that right now programmability and automation, all that stuff, it's it's the way to go in the, in the, for the future.
2: It is the way to go. In fact, I'm going to let you guys in on a little secret because I know this is going to be uh, available <laughs> after um, <laughs> the announcement. Uh, DevNet is going to announce certifications today at Ooh. Cisco Live. In fact, Chuck probably already announced it in his keynote. Yeah. So DevNet is going to be providing a DevNet associate certification and a DevNet professional cert- certification. And, um, in, and then coming soon will be the DevNet... Um, expert certification. Ooh, but DevNet the people CCIE then, a DevNet CCIE. <laughs> and actually we're we're not going to do the um, the letters. We're actually going to say DevNet nice. uh, associate DevNet professional. Um, so we don't like sort of yeah. um, uh, in a programming term, we don't conflict in that namespace. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that'll be announced today and the the trainings will be coming out from the partners as well as from learning at Cisco and uh, you'll be able to take those tests in February of Ooh. 2020. And nice. you'll be able to be certified. And not only does it help DevNet, um, but it really helps the community know that if they want somebody who has programmability capabilities and they want that person in their organization, they can say, "Are you DevNet certified?" And that way, you know, it, it's a great thing that uh, that DevNet's doing to help people really, you know, take their skills and have their skills measurable and recognizable, and then help them get, you know, move along in their career journeys.
3: Which makes sense because I mean. It's not like you can take the, your regular developer, you know, that the one that knows about web interface and all that stuff, because you need to understand the network. You need to understand the networking concepts. It's not like rocket science, but you really need to go and understand stuff like routing or OSPF or ACI or stuff like that. So having a specific certification program where you can actually, um, you know, trust that the Developers also understand it, and that were concepts will really help the, the industry go forward.
2: Networking concepts, data center concepts, so you know, compute, yeah, uh, storage as well, all those things. But that's uh, that's what's uh, coming out uh today and uh will be available in uh, february 2020 so it's, it'll be great great news
1: it, w- it was exciting stuff to hear that on the uh the pre-release that the cisco champions got and it's nice to see that there will actually be specialties on that so you know you could be devnet but you could even be specialized still in ucs versus doing networking and, and such absolutely we'll have cool. specia-
2: we, i think we have eight specializations yeah within Woo. the devnet so you in the professional track if you take the core professional exam and then you take a DevNet um, specialty or DevNet uh, concentration. It, it's called. Uh, you could take all eight DevNet concentrations, and <laughs> um, you know they'll, they'll, you'll have all those badges that you can put <laughs> on your. <laughs> you're gonna need to fill out both the front and back of your business card, yeah. and yeah. maybe even get a supplemental flip-down part of your business card <laughs> <laughs> for all the certification logos that you're gonna have.
3: Nice. <laughs> so if I need to get started in this programmability area with UCS and all that stuff, what's the right place in DevNet to go to?
2: Definitely go to DevNet and look at the tracks. We have tracks for Ansible, we have tracks for Python, we have tracks for PowerShell. Just the core technologies to get you familiarized with the technology in general that you'll be interacting with the Cisco equipment. So once you've done that, if you've already had it, if you already have it, great. But if you haven't, so we want to get your feet wet, but then you can take those technologies and apply them to Cisco products. And we have um, trainings for Power Tool. We have trainings for Python SDK. We have trainings for um, ACI and Intersight. All these things that you're going to be using in the data center, we have trainings for. And here's the biggest, greatest thing about DevNet it's free. Hmm. You don't need to be a customer, you don't need to be a partner. You can be. Uh, a thirteen year old girl sitting in your, you know, in your bedroom and you 're like i'm interested in programmability. Let me see what this has to offer and we really do encourage you know high schoolers and and um, and college age to get involved now yeah. and that way they 'll have those skills and those skills can only benefit you in the future. so yeah. you know a little bit of programmability, but you can get started at devnet developer.cisco dot com and just explore all the offerings that we have.
3: That sounds more like self-paced learning. Do DevNet have something where you know, more instructor-led or something like that?
2: So that's going to come with the certifications. Okay. We will have um, uh, partners and Learning at Cisco coordinating with other groups to provide that training, just like we do already with the certifications. Yeah. So people will be able to go take those two, three, four, or five-day courses or whatever they may be and learn these. Um, technologies that are specified in the in the um, certification um, learning topics, and um, and then be ready for the test. So that is coming. So, but right now everything that we have is uh, is self paced um, learning. We have a great um, video series that Hank Preston put yeah. together for for becoming a network uh, developer. And not only that, he has uh, he's just wrapping up season two of Net DevOps Live, which is great. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I'm glad you guys like it. I, I did an episode this year on how to contribute to ansible yep so it really was a um um uh, you know a, a big bonus that you know Hank took that on and so we got a lot that uh, we're doing in devnet.
3: Can you just share the story about um i know during DevNet create that you basically awarded the definite creator to one of the guys that you helped contribute to the ansible project. Can you tell a bit of that story
2: yeah so so there's a guy from um WTI, they make um, um, power modules and and, um, remote controlled power banks. And uh, he, he came up to me after DevNet Create a year ago and he's like, I really am interested about contributing to Ansible. He had come to the talk that I'd given for contributing to Ansible. And I said, you know what? You can just reach out to me. I'm glad to help you anytime you want. And uh, you know, I didn't have a big crowd that day. Probably about 20 people in a 300-seat in a auditorium. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know, jokingly I was like, "Hey, make room for everybody." But uh, you know, Ken came up to me and he's like, "I really am interested in this. I think it's something that our 50-year-old company needs to bring our products, you know, into the future and, and really help out um, our customers." And I said, "I'll help you any way you want." And so we had intermi- uh, in ex- you know exchange with emails back and forth, and that was in April. In August of that year, his first modules were accepted into Core Ansible. Ooh, nice! Nice. And you know, I just thought this is a guy that went from you know just sort of tinkering around to actually having you know something published in an open source project. And you know what? I thought he deserved to be recognized for that. And so they were looking for DevNet creators to be awarded. I put his name in. I told that story, and uh, I, I was just so happy this year when he received it because I. I I was like that's a guy that deserves it you know extra time and effort and it really became something that was um you know it, it meant a lot to me yeah you know not necessarily why I do it but you know a great side effect of um of what I do that this guy you know took his job and his company to the next level
3: yeah, yeah absolutely and for me that that talks about the power of that you know, building that community and make it more friendly for you know different engineers to start getting more programmability more into the community For for me that's that's a great, great story, for sure.
1: So, John, if people are looking for other resources, you know, as we look around, even as we're filming this, this uh, podcast here at, uh, at Cisco Live, you know, it's a huge social environment where people can walk around and mingle and network and, and make connections that they wouldn't have made, you know, just sitting at their keyboards otherwise. What other things are available as far as any sort of workshops or, or community around DevNet itself that people can connect and, and advance that?
2: So we have hundreds of workshops. We have quite a few that uh, center around data center programmability, Power Tool, Python, REST APIs, et cetera. Please, you know, everybody should be, um, well, I know this is after Cisco Live that this they'll be hearing this, but you know, they can go to all those resources and watch the recordings and watch, uh, or like tune into the webinars. But um, one of the great things that we did, or that we're planning to do is this thing called Meet the Developer. Now, after the fact, of Cisco Live, when they're hearing this, meet the developers. Still be available by joining the DevNet communities online, and then you can talk to us. You can, you know, you can talk to myself. You can talk to the other um, developer advocates that specialize in other areas. So those are things that they can do. You know, join the communities, be active, ask questions. Never be afraid to ask a question because you think it's not interesting enough or intelligent enough. You know, we'll help out. Yeah. You know Those communities are there for you because we want you to be
0: a successful developer. Nice. Nice. Great. Well, this has been <clears throat> this has been another great episode of Cisco Champion Radio. I want to thank all of you for joining us today, especially John and Joe for sharing their insight and Jose for hosting today's session. Look for this episode and other episodes on iTunes and cisco.com/go/czo.